Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown Show, a show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality, and creating change. For seven years, today's guest, Elena Baker Rogers, worked with her co author, Fasaha Trailer, on their book, They Carried Us The Social Impact of Philadelphia's Black Women Leaders. The book is an informative and inspirational collection of compelling narratives and powerful photographs that capture the extraordinary lives of well-known and obscure historical and contemporary African-American women in Philadelphia. The women focused on in the book are divided into nine sections ranging from community building and movement activism to the art of the beautiful and include from underground railroad conductor Harriet Tubman to filmmaker Morari Carmel Holmes. Baker Rogers was born and raised in West Philadelphia. She's a lifelong educator and holds a doctorate in higher education leadership a former university administrator and assistant professor of educational research. She now resides in Virginia. Known as Sissy by her friends and colleagues, Baker Rogers is also a past recipient of the Jane S. Abrams and Cecil B. Moore Community Service Awards. Sissy, welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. How are you today? You know what? It is a very quiet and calm day, which I'm very happy for. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I love that. You know, you do have a unique first name. Are you named after somebody in your family? I actually am named after a godmother who was a a woman who my mother grew up with. And Mm -hmm. as far as I know, the two of us are the only ones ever with that name. Wow. Yeah. And uh, and I know that you said it's okay to call you Sissy. How did you, it, I mean, do you have a lot of siblings? Is that just like in the family? Uh, actually, let me back up if you don't mind just for a second. Because I, sure. I, he, 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 would, he, would, he would be mad at me if I didn't say <laughs> that in my, in, in, in my oldest, in my only, I should say my only grandson is named after me. His name is Alan. So I am the oldest sister in a mm-hmm. family of four. And mm-hmm. my, under, my understanding is that my, my sister Leslie uh, was not able to pronounce my name, which, go figure. And it, it, be, it, it evolved into Sissy. 
Oh, so I was her sweet. sissy. Yeah. Um, but that's sweet. You know, I mean, I've heard people, other people who it's like, you know, um, that's how they they get that name, and it sort of comes from the family, and then it sort of sticks. We had two yeah. nannies in our family, and my son, to differentiate them, and it was literally, he called one Big Nanny and the other one Little Nanny. And Little Nanny okay. was like maybe five feet tall and 100 pounds soaking wet. And, and it just seemed like from then on, she was Little Nanny. You know? so, sure. So, <laughs> so you're originally from Philadelphia. I am a native Philadelphian. I grew up in West Philadelphia between, um, I would say, 55th and Larchwood and 55th and Pine on a small street called Addison. Mm-hmm. Wow. And, uh, and I've spent, I, I actually spent uh, the bulk of my life uh, living uh, not, far from, not far from where I grew up and uh, before moving down to eastern Virginia, which is where I live now. Do you miss it? Do you get back up there? You know, I was uh, getting back up, you know, quite regularly before the pandemic. Uh, and uh, my dad is actually in a nursing home up there, and I haven't seen him since the book launched, which was at the end mm-hmm. of February. So, uh, you know, yeah, I, I, do I miss it? Yeah. It's uh-huh. home, <laughs> even when you uh-huh. you know even when you you de- you develop new homes. I spent so much of my of my life in Philadelphia that yeah you know sometimes I get a little little nostalgic for it. It's it's much different for I'm, I live in uh, rural Virginia now, so it's very different ge- geography from uh, living in a big city to a very small town. You know one of the things that you know. Uh, I'm I'm in the process of reading your book because it's a good good sized book, but one of the things that I have never heard, you know, I've always heard of Philadelphia is a city of brotherly brotherly love, but in your introduction, you call it the city of brotherly love and sisterly affection. Is that yes. if I was from Philadelphia, is that what people would say, or is that just what? came out to you as you as you were working on this book no actually that's a philadelphian thing so you would you know if you were if you were a philly person a native or you know otherwise became a philadelphian you would come to know of that phrase the uh, city of brotherly love and sisterly affection now with that said the that that uh, nomenclature is not is not a, a good one for women uh, the sisterly affection part was really about women as prostitutes. And so mm. what you'll see, you know, the reference that we make to it in the book, you know, is not necessarily a, a, a reference of praise. It's a, it's a reference of, of noted, noting it, but not necessarily mm-hmm. one of praise. Yeah, because I know what you said, that it's intended to be a loving corrective. Corrective. And, um, Mhm, mhm. So, uh, that, that, but that's interesting. That's something that I had never heard about Philadelphia. And when I mm-hmm. first read that, I I was thinking, oh, um, when we talk about brotherly love, it's like everybody loves it. But women do tend to be more affectionate, more caring. And mm-hmm. 
in your book, the women are affectionate. They're caring. They're building community. Were you aware of this, you know, not that, the first uh, definition of, of women, you know, of uh, women of affection, but did you see women growing up as just like the backbone of the community holding it together? Only always. I would say from my grandmothers and mother and certainly the women who were on my block, uh, which we refer to as 55A, um, because we are all still we are all still very connected to our roots in that community uh, in West Philadelphia. The the women on our street were they were not just a backbone, but they were all of our mothers. So mm-hmm. you know. I, I don't know, you know, what kind of, you know, community or neighborhood you grew up in, but, you know, I grew up in one, and, and certainly a number of the women in the book who grew up in other sections of the city, West Philadelphia included, you know, they their experiences were similar to mine, which was that which was that any any woman on the block could check you. So okay. if you were doing anything wrong, more than likely. Your mother knew about it before you got home. And, in fact, we had a thing on Addison Street where some of us referred to some of the women as the uh, Bulletin, Daily News, and Inquirer. And those were the three newspapers that we had at the time. Uh-huh. And so they, so they told all of your business. But it's not just that, 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 you know, that in a funny way, but that in a very, you know, community supportive, protective way. Um, these women, they were strong. They were strong women. And, and, and I, and I want to say that the men who I grew up around were, you know, as well. But, you know, there was something very standoutish that, you know, I noticed about the, the black women who, you know, who were around me, you know, as I was a child and as I was growing up uh, and, you know, and, and becoming a teenager. Um, and, in fact, you, you know, I could save some of this, but just to say that I was, I was a young teen mom, and so mm-hmm. having, having, you know, the support of my mother and other black women in the community, and even, you know, as I went off to college, that was very critical for me. So, yeah, to answer your question, I grew up, I grew up seeing that and knowing that. I didn't know what it uh-huh. was, though, but I definitely grew uh-huh. up seeing it. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's something about that role and, you know, and sometimes I think that in the work that I try to do is to be that person because there were always these women where I often tell people there might have been a time that I might not have been on the same page with my mother, but there was a woman in the community I could go talk to who could I could hear about. There were the women mm-hmm. who I watched and inspired me to go ahead and keeping, keep on keeping on. Mm-hmm. And I share that with you being a teen mother and that it was like I can recall this woman saying, well, it's not like it's the first time, and immediately <laughs> wrapping their arms around me and showing me not only how to take care of myself, but then how to, to be a mother. Sure, sure. 
my my experience with those women and they were they were my next door neighbors you know they lived across the street um my experience with them was that they were determined that I was not going to fail. Mm. And whether that meant, and, and, and by that what they really meant was that I was, I was the, um, I, would, I would describe myself as a lifelong learner. I was always, always had my head in the books, you know, was always very connected to school, that was something that was always very important to me. And I don't even really know why. It must have been that my mother, you know, encouraged it because I actually went on to become the first person in our family to graduate from college. But these women, you know, they made sure that, that, that I was able to continue to do that, uh, you know, and definitely my mother. So, you know, even my daughter's, you know, aunts, you know, if I needed you know, if I needed time to, you know, do whatever, they were there. Um, and, you know, when I think back on that part of my life, I, I really do say that if it weren't for those women and that community support, that strong network that I had, then I'm not quite sure what would have turned out with me. I don't think it would have been all bad, <laughs> but, uh-huh. you know, I don't think it would have been as easy as it became. Now, I mean, you talk about, you know, being an educator, but you also, you know, you, you received award, awards for community service. Is that yes. something also that the people in your immediate neighborhood, particularly the women, instilled in you that, you know, not only were you supposed to get your education to it, but you were supposed to give back to the community? Well, you know, it's interesting because I, I would have to say no. And but I want to predicate predicate that up with this that um, I grew up in a very religious uh, family. My um, three three of the four of my grandparents were ministers. We spent almost every waking hour at church. You know, we were the the Sunday school, the vacation Bible school, the, you know, the, the camp, camp, Christian camp kids. And um, so I grew up with that, you know, very strong um, understanding that it's not just about you, that it's about others and that, Mm -hmm. you know, you're, you are supposed to, you know, be a person who, who cared about others and who did for others. I also want to add very proudly that um, my maternal great-great-grandfather was the 25th bishop of the AME Church. And so for us, that, that living your life in a kind way, in a good way, and in a supportive way is something that my siblings and I, we just, we grew up that way. The, the community service piece for me, um, I think, grew out, of, grew out of the realities of the world that I lived in, and that, in fact, was um, low income, you know, where the continuum was poor to blue-collar working class. And so, you know, I grew up in a community while we all – you know, took care of one another, you know, we definitely, there was definitely a need 
to extend beyond yourself and to and to help you know others in in your community and communities beyond you. So you know my work. I actually graduated from uh, a high school that was called a John Bartram, but I graduated from the Human Services uh, program of of John Bartram rather than going the route that was for their um, their college access program. Uh, you know, I was obviously admitted into the college access program, but something uh-huh. in me wanted to go the human services route. So, you know, early in life, by 10th, 11th grade, you know, I was involved in human services. And it's interesting uh-huh. because it's interesting because the book, that's, that's a bookend, that's one end of the, uh, the bookend for me, graduated from uh, the School of Human Services as a teenager. And then when I, you know, received my doctorate uh, from Widener University, that was actually, that was also from the School of, of uh, Education and Human Services. How did it feel when you got that doctorate, when you went home, and here were these community mothers who had been who had encouraged you, who had supported you, how did it feel to go back to them and sort of say, hey, I did it. I'm here. Oh, I'm, you know, probably one of the most humbling but glorious feelings all at the same time. And I didn't have to go back to them. They were, you know, they were they were yeah. there. Even though by then, you know, I was grown and, you know, obviously living living on my own. Um, they were, you know, there were there were several women who were always a part of my universe. And you know, it was interesting to see some of them trying on my cap and trying on my gown. Oh, uh huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, and that. So that's 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 really sort of a a tingly feeling that that really never leaves you. And you know that you accomplish something not just for yourself and not just for your community, but for those, those people. You know, I think of a godmother of mine who, who just um, passed uh, at the end of uh, 2019, Miss B. I just think about her trying on my cap and gown and just being so, so happy, so proud, uh-huh. <laughs> you know. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, you know, those are things that, those are experiences that there's no such thing as a do-over for that, you know, kind of thing. It's just so special and authentic the first time around. So, um, I, and I'm sitting here now feeling very, feeling very um, humbled, <laughs> you know, by it all. Uh-huh. Now, now, I will say, and you didn't ask me this question, I will, I will also add that, you know, everything, everything was not always peachy keen with these women, you know. Um, oh, yeah. You know, oh, they, yeah. You, know, um, you know, they certainly did, you know, struggle, for example, with my sexuality, you know, uh-huh. for as much as, you know, for as much as um, they supported me, you know, through teenage pregnancy, you know, they also did not understand the, the if it's okay for me to talk about these things. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, they they also did not understand the, the tomboy in me, you know, the, mm-hmm. the the girl who was always in the streets, 
playing with the boys, playing sports, throwing the football, playing, you know, basketball and all those other things with the, you know, the short hair and the high-top chucks and, you know, all those other things. So I think that when I got pregnant, that kind of threw them for a loop, never mind the fact that it threw me, never mind the fact that it threw me for a loop. And, um, you know, I, I think that I presented, you know, a different kind of, person that they had than they had seen before or or rather one who was un, un, unashamed of of who I was and even as a you know as a as a young teen I was I was not ashamed of who I was I knew I was different mm-hmm. um, you know and um, yeah. you know everybody just sort of had, had to come to terms with that mm-hmm I, I know, isn't it, it isn't it funny how you, you think of that? Because I can recall um, someone saying to my mother, well, I didn't think she'd ever let a man get close to her. And it's like, you know, <laughs> hey, you know, hey, mm-hmm, it happened. Mm-hmm. It happened. Okay, yeah, so, yeah. yeah. You, the other thing that, you know, that I just want to touch on briefly is like, you know, you and I share that being the team mother of a son, your relationship and how you were influenced by women, but also and being a part of that community and doing all the things that you did, how do you feel it has impacted him? Actually, I want to correct that. That was my godson, who I mean my grandson, who I was referring oh, to earlier, oh, okay. who, oh, okay. who has my name. Uh, that's my 14-year-old uh-huh. grandson. I actually have uh-huh. one daughter. And that's it. So, so uh-huh. my my kid uh-huh. my kid my kid's a girl. Um, uh-huh. How did what and well how did what impact her? Okay, uh, oh that that changes the whole thing. I had a son, and there were people who were concerned that he would not know how to grow up and be a young man because oh. I was okay. surrounded by it. But by the same token, did you have was it flipped with you that they were looking at and they were kind of like you know we're gonna have to show you how to you know, take out those high top things. You don't want her doing that. Did they try to influence how you reared your daughter? No, they did not try to influence how I reared my daughter. They did try to influence me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in other words, they did. I definitely went through, uh, you know, a thing where, you know, my mother included, and and some of these black, other black women who I'm referring to, you know, they tried to make me a girl, <laughs> and you know, and you know, and that's the language. You know, I, I'm using language from from you know from back in the day, you know, uh-huh. to be more, you know, to be more fem- feminine, to you know, wear dresses, to you know, not. <laughs> you know, not be doing all of these things that were viewed as, you know, boy things. Um, mm-hmm. And there was, there was a, when I was growing up, there was a, a, a dyke on our block, and her name was Sherry. And she commanded attention, not intentionally, but just because she was herself. She dressed androgynous. And, you know, for, for a little bit of time, it even, I was even confused about whether or not she was a man or a woman. Uh, and then when I got it situated in my head that she was a woman, 
I was like, oh, okay, that's cool, you know. Um, but but she, you know, she was in, in some ways she was an outcast. Um, mm-hmm. I, I I don't remember her, and she was much older than me, but I don't remember seeing people, you know, spending time with her. Or you know, I grew up on a block where there were you know the front steps and the front porch, mm-hmm. and so you know you know life was in the street on your block, on the front steps, you know, or on somebody else's front steps or porch. And I never saw that interaction with her. Um, And so I knew that there was something, you know, a little, that she was, I I didn't have the word ostracism attached to it, but I knew that there was something that she was doing that people didn't necessarily like. And I didn't even know that, that it was a sexual thing. You know, I just knew that she dressed like a man. Um, uh-huh. You know, by the time, by, by the time, and I'm going to throw something out at you, by the time I was, um, you know, already a mother, uh, my daughter was probably, which I was still carrying her, so she was somewhere probably between six to eight months years old, and I was 17, and I was excommunicated from a church. Um, and, you know, that was a, that was a devastating experience for me. Um, in in part because, you know, there was such a systematic process that they went through to try to change me to be a girl, you know, to wear my hair mm-hmm. different, to wear dresses and skirts and hosiery and, you know, to wear, you know, women's shoes and stuff and, and you know, when I didn't, you know, when the period came by that, you know, I didn't live up to, I didn't do what it was I was supposed to do. You know, I was officially excommunicated from this church. And that was very painful, very painful. Um, uh-huh. It separated all friendships that I had, you know, with people who had been in my life since I was like 11 years old. Um, and, you know, some of those friendships I did not, I did not um, get back until my 50s. Uh-huh. <laughs> Um, uh-huh. You know, and that, that leaves you. That leaves you. That leaves you either. That leaves you either um, embarrassed or down on yourself, or it makes you strong and fortified in yourself. And for me, it made me strong and fortified in myself with some sadness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, one of the things that we connected over was we. You were watching the story about Ruth Ellis. And I'll tell you, I didn't know Ruth Ellis when I was young and coming up, but later on to get to meet her, because like you said, I know that your book, you know, there are all these wonderful women who who have carried us, but then to later at a certain point to meet Ruth Ellis, who was in her 90s then, and to hear this rich story, I mean, it Mm, was sort mm. of like coming like full circle. And then to have her meet my biological mother, and they were friends. Mm. I mean, like, they were friendly towards mm. each other. But it's sort of like, it was like full circle and, and, and like, wow, that's great. And how I wish, I know that, you know, there were generations in my generation who didn't know of her if you weren't part of the LGBTQ community because we weren't, there wasn't that, like, my family wasn't hanging with her. You know, it was like. And yeah, it, yeah. You know, they, they weren't hanging that way. And when I wanted to hang that way, they just weren't. And then to find that way in. What were your impressions of that film? You know, um, 
a couple things. One is that what struck me was one of the one of the primary things that struck me about that film was how happy she was in her own skin mm-hmm. and how and how determined so much so that it almost came natural or easy for her to find her community wherever they were at and and that was it you know she realized that's what she had to do and that's what she did and she didn't you know i wish i had I, I, as we were watching that film over and over again I, I i felt myself in my head saying i wish i had had that when i was younger mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, mm-hmm. you know just that um you know i'm not necessarily talking about the confidence because i think i had the confidence but i didn't have i did not have you know positive black uh, you know, uh, female lesbian role models like that, and and so for me, she would have been. Man, I wish she would have been somebody in my life. It, and I remember mm-hmm. thinking that, you know, while while watching that that film, she was so natural and comfortable with herself, even at times when it seemed like she wasn't. She was, you know, and the mm-hmm. other thing that. That the other thing that struck me about that film was how she was willing to, you know, you know, live out her, you know, relationship with the woman that she was involved with until it got to the point where she just said, "No, I'm not taking this anymore." It was almost as if, you know, it's one of those those, those things that we don't we don't always know how to do, how to let go when we should let go because it's in our best interest. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so you know, having somebody like her, you know, earlier in life, even as you know, in earlier adulthood, you know, would have been fantastic. And the other thing is that that lady just seemed like she was fun. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> so oh, I would have loved to have, I would have loved to have met her. And then the last thing I'd say was my experience in watching that was I am so glad that I got to watch it with a community of black lesbians. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, that brought something very, you know, special as well to the experience. So, yeah, lots, lots yeah. of feelings I had watching that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, you know, I mean, and I've seen it several times. And like I said, I knew Ruth. Um, I loved Ruth. Uh, that must have been I, and, something, but, man. I mean, I mean, you know, I mean, really, I knew Ruth. I loved Ruth, and I'll tell you, and to have someone like you said so comfortable in her skin, mm-hmm. and to have, as I said, at that point when my mother had come to something that was like when my mother was really starting to feel like really, really comfortable with me being out, and she came to a coffee house and she sat there beside Ruth. The music was playing; they were dancing. You know, Ruth in her wheelchair, my mother, her hand. And they had grown, she had lived in an area where my mother had grown up in. And my mother said, I never knew that you were there. And Ruth mm. jokingly said, she said, well, had I known you around there, I'm, I would have chased you down. And my mother looked at her <laughs> and said, and I might have let you catch me. And I'm going like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You who had an issue with me, now you're saying you would have let Ruth catch you? But, but, but it was just like... Like it was, it was like two having two mothers come together, yeah. And both of them, and it was just like so great. What's the thing? Well, you know, 
No, no, no I was going to say there's something, there's something different about uh, wanting something different for your daughter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. so there is that. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, there is. Well, now, Chrissy, we're going to take our, our first break, and when we come back, I'm going to start talking about your book. So we'll be right there. Yay! This episode of Collections by Michelle Brown is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services, bringing balance to your mind, body, and spirit. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit the Center at www.thecenterforpeacellc.com. back here on Collections by Michelle Brown, and I'm talking with one of the co-authors of They Carried Us, The Social Impact of Philadelphia's Black Women Leaders. Now, I was reading the other day, and Susie, and you were saying that you started working on this book with your co-author, Fasa Trailer, like seven, it was in seven years in the making. Yes. How, how did you two come together and decide to do this? Well, l- let me just say that Fasaha and I have uh, had known each other already since the uh, mid-90s. We were both, uh, both um, board members and then both became uh, chairs of the same um, a child advocacy organization in Philadelphia. So I actually recruited her, for lack of a better word, to work with me on the book. She was someone who I'd known. She was someone who I had studied. Um, she's, uh, she's, she's, she's older than me. And, you know, she was someone even back then when we were working together that I had my eyes on in terms of, you know, being able to learn from her, you know. Uh-huh. Um, I, you know, I never, I never, you know, I never – thought of her as a role model or, or a mentor or anything like that, but she was certainly someone whose business style and authority in a room I paid attention to. And so when I, you know, when I came up with this idea to, to write this book, it, it was natural for me to approach her. That was back in 2012, I think. And shortly before then I had, um, I guess I had done a, a, a social media project where I highlighted, uh, profiled 29 black women from Philadelphia for, for Black History Month, simply because I just wanted to do something different with Black History Month. I wanted to, you know, celebrate women in our local community. And that, that project really drew much more attention than I had ever imagined. Uh, as I said to a number of the women 
at our uh, launch event, a number of the contemporary women who were in the book, I said, I profiled you during that Black History Month before we started working on the book. And some, and some of you in this room right now, some of you had like over 1,000 views. People wanted to know who you were and, you know, were impressed with the work that you had that you've done and your contributions to, you know, to, to the community. So that's how it really, you know, all got it started. Um, should I continue? Oh, sure. Uh, I will continue by saying that, yes, uh, it took us um, close to seven years to write They Carried Us, and that time was spent obviously between, you know, developing an initial proposal and, and finding a publisher, but to a significant degree, that time was spent conducting historical research on the forerunners, of which there are 46 forerunners in the book, and then conducting, you know, one-on-one interviews with the 49 contemporary women you know, who are in the book. And that's very time-consuming. And now all of that was predicated by, predicated by a selection, a criteria process, who we wanted to, you know, and, and include in the book in the first place. And three, uh, I would say three or four things that were significantly important was one, that the women had to be of Philadelphia or okay. who became naturalized Philadelphians. Um, they were either founders of organizations or of initiatives, or they were the first to accomplish something in their field, um, and that overall their body of work had significant impact. And that impact uh, was both at the local level uh, in Philadelphia or or beyond, and or and or beyond. It certainly had to be impact in the city of Philadelphia. And, and I'm saying and or beyond because a significant number of the women have reached, you know, their, their work reached beyond Philadelphia to nationally and internationally as well. Did, uh, did you have a, ever have, like, as you were looking like it, how did you weigh if you saw two people who were very significant what was the determining factor, you know, as, you know, woman A over woman B, and they both had done, taken like a similar trajectory in their life? Mm-hmm. Was the connection to Philadelphia, the stronger connection to Philadelphia, the determining factor? In some ways, yes, but there's two ways, there's two parts, uh, two answers to that question. The first is those decisions that we made as with regard to the forerunners. Obviously, the forerunners, you know, were women who who lived uh, any time between the 17th and some part of the 20th century. If we did not and could not find enough background uh, information on them from our research, then we just could not include them in the book. Mm. Um, so, you know, for the forerunners, that was a very different, you know, a very different approach. Um, for the contemporary women, we, we, we automatically say this, and this is very important. There is no way at all that we have included all of the women or many of the women who should, uh, of Philadelphia who should be in a book like this. 
You know, people have asked us that question, and I assume that we're going to always be asked that question, uh, you know, why one woman, you know, and not, and not another uh-huh. woman. Uh, this, book is, this book is 640 pages, um, and so we would have, you know, continue. We would still be writing um, or, and, or working on volume two and volume three, you know, of this work if, if we were to include you know, as I think should be done, you know, all of the women who should be recognized for their for their contributions and their achievements. That said, you know, as you say, it, it did come down to what is this person's, you know, connection to Philadelphia? Uh, you know, what what was the work that that person was doing and, and what, you know, how deep, how deep was that reach? Okay, and then also, you know, I would say that we we really, we found ourselves focusing on what became our nine chapters, that their work fell into one of those nine categories, you know, that we, that we were, that we wanted to emphasize. So um, it was a formula, I think, for us that worked, and a formula that allowed us to you know, to draw from a number of women. And then lastly, I would say is that, you know, working on the timelines with doing the interviews, um, there had to be a time in which the interviews had to be completed. And if they couldn't be completed during a certain time frame, then we were not able to, you know, we were not able to include someone. And we also had people who just, you know, for whatever reasons were busy and they, you know, um, weren't available, you know, to be interviewed. Now, did you ever, and I've had this happen to any time, like if I'm going to do something and people, depending on how they know me, but many people, they'll see me and they immediately go, oh, so this is going to be about either the gay community or the lesbian community. And I remind them, but, you know, I am also a woman and there are always Mm -hmm. these other things, these other intersectional things in my life that I am passionate about. So, no, it's not going, don't put it in a box. Did you ever have someone go like, oh, uh, she wants to write a book, or it's going to be a gay book? Did you ever have to, to get that pushback? You know, fortunately, I did not, and I'm saying fortunately because I think I really would have been taken aback and, and maybe even somewhat... Um, uh, put off or offended had that question, mm-hmm. you know, been, been, been put to me. You know, I think that that is, this is, in my opinion, that's a, that's a, uh, that, that causes sort of like a division or a breakdown mm-hmm. of, of, of who we are as individuals. We are, we are all of these things. Mm-hmm. And, and, and and not only are we all of these things, but we can do all of these things as well. And thank you very much for not boxing me yet. Um, mm-hmm. You know, with, with that said, I, I do want to answer the question this way as well. Yeah, I very much over the course of my uh, professional uh, career, professional life, was a, a leader in uh, the city of Philadelphia's lesbian and gay, um, bisexual, transgender, and queer community. Um, I definitely was a leader and known as a leader in our in our local community, and had been involved in 
you know, many, many, many uh, actions and activities. And um, that said, you know, I, I, um, I think it was one of these individuals, and, and, and I'm, not, I'm not meaning to imply whatsoever that I was the only lesbian or gay person in my professional mm-hmm. sphere. That's not what I'm implying whatsoever. Um, but I, mm-hmm. think, I could think of probably, you know, a dozen of us, um, lesbian and gay men who were, you know, at the um, upper tiers of of business and education and civic work in the city of Philadelphia that sometimes who you are becomes solely and simply defined by the contributions that you make. And what has been important to me is that I had been known as as an educator mm-hmm. and that I had been known as a child advocate. Mm-hmm. Those were the two ways in which I wanted people to see me. I also wanted people to see me as, um, for lack of a better way of saying it, a mover and a shaker, someone who mm-hmm. could connect with, someone who could connect with others and get things done. Uh, for, for the betterment of for the betterment of those cities and for the betterment for the, for those commu- betterment of those communities rather and for the betterment of my city. I hope that yeah. begins. Okay. <laughs> right. I mean, exactly. It's sort of like you know, yeah, they're putting in the box. I mean, I mean, you have yeah. so much to give. If they put you in one box, you know, they're they're shortchanging themselves. You know. Absolutely, so I, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I think, I think and, and that. And I, I would not have, I'm exactly. sorry, I'm just, I don't mean to talk all over you, but I certainly no. would have, you know, I certainly would have pushed back on that one. Mm-hmm. I have never, Sissy Rogers has never been one to, um, um, you know, to to quietly go away without saying what's on her mind. <laughs> all right, <laughs> uh, I, I, I like that. Okay, so you came up with this, and you had a time constraint. How did you decide who was going to interview whom? Or did you sometimes both interview the same people? Did you have a no. standard list of questions, or did you just sort of yes. went with it? Um, we developed, it. We, we, we developed uh, an interview protocol. Um, my um, academic background is in uh, educational research, so the researcher in me um, also with the uh, the work that um, the Fasaha has done over the course of her career, you know, we wanted a systemic way of people, uh, you know, to, you know, look about, look at what we were trying to accomplish with the book. And so we did have an interview protocol. We did pilot that interview protocol with, with several indiv- individuals. And we each conducted separate individual interviews with the women who were in the book those interviews really honestly ranged anywhere from three to four and a half hours. So this is, this was a very time consuming process. Um, You know, in some respects we interviewed the people who we wanted to. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. sometimes I told her who to interview and sometimes she told (laughs) me who to interview. interview. And that is, as I mentioned in another, uh, you know, engagement that we had, uh, you know, it's really nice to work with someone who you can be comfortable with so we could tell each other what to do. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
and that you know and that matter. Um, we both I think we either interview, sometimes we interview people who we already had established relationships with because that would make for you know the ease in in communicating with them and following up with them and all those other things that go into conducting interviews. And sometimes we interview people who we didn't know anything about. Um, for example, I did the entire sports cha- um, chapter of the book. And why did I, I did, yes, the sports chapter, chapter eight was mine. And why? Because, hey, Tom Boy at heart, I love sports. Yeah. Not that she doesn't love sports, but I was like, I want to do a sports chapter. <laughs> you know, for um, uh-huh. Saha wrote, wrote the introduction. There were things that she wanted to accomplish in the introduction, including the letter from Black Alice. Uh-huh. Uh, I wrote the epilogue. There are things that I wanted to accomplish with that epilogue. So, you know, there was a lot of give and take. Well, with the sports part, because I know, um, like I said, I'm in the – I started trying to read it like from front to back, but then I found myself like clipping through and reading this. And I saw um, Dr. Nikki Frank, who is a collegiate fencer. Okay, I always wanted to fence, and I took a couple of classes. <laughs> were, I mean, were, were the sports or some of the sports, sports you had been involved in, were some were things that you had been interested in and you learned something about them when you went and talked to that person? I learned something about each and every woman who I interviewed or who I conducted historical research on. Um, uh, No, to answer your direct question, um, my sport had been basketball. Ah. And so, you know, I I knew nothing about fencing or, you know, lacrosse or field hockey like, you know, Tina Sloan Green was involved in. Um, And... I don't want to lose my train of thought real quickly. Um, what what was important to me with the sports section was to take a subject area that has historically been one that the black community struggled with, mm-hmm. and that and that other communities have struggled with women in sports women doing, you know, gender-inappropriate things. That resonated for me from my childhood. Uh-huh. And, if you, and if you look around today's world, we know that women have come a very long way in being able to be professional athletes or to be involved in, uh, you know, athletes, uh, athletics in school uh, and things like that. So that was what my passion and connection was you know, with the sports section. Um, let me say that to, to our, um, our listeners, they carried us is not a book to read from beginning to end. Uh-uh. It, is a jump, it is a jump around book. <laughs> it's uh, find where you're, you know, a, a topic or, you know, a chapter or a person who you think you might be interested in and start there. You can read wherever, however you uh-huh. want with they carried us. Uh, yeah, and, and I think, that, I mean, really, and that's how it. One of the things, though, that that really got me excited about the book. I was excited about because I like history. Anyhow, I watched you to do, um, and it was of a, a historical society, and you two were doing an interview, 
as each of you told the stories of the people, there was a joy that it was Mm. like you were telling the story of a family member. It was like, and even though you, and and I imagine it was three to four hours, you really did get to, and, and doing the background research on the others, but there was like a joy. It was like you were telling the story of family members and mm-hmm. you'd go back and forth between the two of you, and it was like, wow, wow, you know, and I'm, I had to book them. <laughs> and I'm going, I'm trying to, okay, where's that, where's that? And I'm t- sticking pieces of paper in there. <laughs> Did you get that sense that it was like you really got to know these people and wanting to share their stories? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, yes, definitely. Um and you know the thing is is that is that every time you know doing their you know just because you interview someone um you know doesn't mean that you get just because you interview someone and write up their story doesn't mean that you get that whole experience of them all at once okay and that's what you're speaking to what I think you you felt from us or saw in us as we were as we were talking about those women, they excite us mm-hmm. and and we we learn something about them you know every time we touch the book you know before you and I got started, I said, "Hold on a second, I have to go get my copy of the book." <laughs> mm-hmm. you know just because you write a book doesn't mean necessarily that you experience it all at that one time that you do it. Um, you know, we're preparing for, you know, another program, you know, right now, and and we're like, wow, you want to talk about her? You want to talk about her? You want to talk about her? And it's, and it's you know, the, the freshness of it, I think, comes back to us uh, over and over and over again. I cannot talk about this book without doing what I'm doing right now. And that is that I get really hyped and excited about these women. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I do. And you know what? Let me tell you something. Let me go back to the women of my community just real quickly. There are there were women um in the book who were um born in or, or lived in North Philadelphia and Germantown, uh and I'm gonna lastly say in West Philadelphia where I grew up at. Okay. The women in West Philadelphia I had no idea that they grew up in West Philadelphia. Some of them grew up just one woman, uh, Chris James Brown, grew up right around the corner from me. Mm. Okay? And another woman, woman, you know, Lynette, Lynette Brown So and, and, um, and, and why am I, uh, Marshall Blake, they grew up like less than 10 blocks from me. And these women went on to have such an incredible influence and impact and sphere of reference, you know, and the work that they do, that it just makes me so proud um, to be a part of, as I said, Fasaha, I don't know what they were drinking in West Philadelphia, but, man, I'm glad that I got, to, I'm glad I got some of it too. Mm-hmm. You know, or the mm-hmm. women who went to Girls High. Uh, you know, and I'm not, you know, I'm just, you know, I, I'm not saying those places to isolate out other places, but you get real tingly about it, mm-hmm. um, and and you do. You learn something every time you go back and touch a story. Uh-huh. You know, 
Often, I hope that yeah, answers your question. Oh, yeah. You know, and often it's sort of like when I look at this book and, you know, and how you hear people say, now, oh, that's black girl magic. And I'm going, like, black girl magic? We, that's, that's black woman power. We have been <laughs> yeah. magical and powerful all along. It's like this is yeah. nothing new. And, and it's like, and here in this book, like you said, you go back and you read and go like, wow. You know, you look even at the time period and go like, and they were doing that then. They're doing that now. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's mm-hmm. just like really exciting. And that's the thing. Is, like you said, they carried us. And, and now we're thinking about we got magic. We've been had the magic. We've had the magic. We've had the magic. You know, it's been a developmental process because, as you said, you know, there were some women who were doing things, you know, historically, and some of that work connects, I mean, continues rather. And we wanted to show that as well. You know, we wanted to show that, you know, the work that the early educators were doing, some of the work it still continues today. Um, you know, those are things that we wanted to, to make sure that, that, that were underscored. Uh, L- Dr. Lurleen Jones, for example, in um, Chapter 8, I think I mentioned to her in that pro- about her in that program that you listened to. If it were not for her, girls in the, um, in the city of Philadelphia would not have the opportunities that they have now to participate in sports and athletics in their schools. People mm-hmm. need to know that. That's huge. Yeah. You talked about, like, was there something in the water or something in there? But, you know, was there something, a link that you saw when you talk about how um, African-American, our payoffs to freedom, um, our northern migration, was there something that you saw that came through Philadelphia that one might say did contribute to an environment where there was something in the water. I mean, something that encouraged people to do that, to be women particularly, to be in these roles, to try and do different things. Well, um, it's interesting that you should ask that question because obviously I believe that the answer is yes. Philadelphia historically, you know, was an interesting place. Um, You know, we were the city of Quakers. You know, we were the city of, 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 of white abolitionists, you know, these do-good people. Uh, we were fortunately one of the cities where, you know, slavery was not allowed. But with all of that said, blacks still, colored Negroes, uh, African Americans, still had to struggle against systemic racism. And, you know, just because someone says they believe in your cause, as with the suffragists, the suffragettes, the uh-huh. white suffragettes believed in, our, believed in our cause until our cause got in the way of their getting their vote. So that thing that we saw was... Sometimes people want to be your friend and sometimes people want to help you until what you need interferes with what they have. Uh Um, And that we unapologetically wanted to show and demonstrate 
through they carried us. This work that these women did was necessary work. There was nothing fun about it, you know. It was what had to have been to be done. Again, referencing the program that you listened to, one of my opening comments was to the effect that it was because of so many of these women that my life in Philadelphia was able to take the, you know, the, the steps that, that I was able to take the steps that I did. You know, it was because I was able to break into good schools. It was because of these women and other blacks. Uh-huh. Um, you know, because, you know, Fasaha and I have come to sit in rooms where, where people historically didn't look like us. It was because a number of these women did that first. So, you know, make no mistake, uh, we are rabble-rousers. And that's one of the things that I was looking for when I asked her to be a part of this project. You know, someone who has the same mindset as me. Um, we are strong black women. Um, we, we know the work. Um, that had to be done. And it wasn't always easy, but it was absolutely necessary. So we're going to take our second break here. And um, I'm just, I'm loving this. You know, you know I, I, I'll probably be sitting up flipping through to, to I, or sometimes I still like flip through and wherever it opens, I read about that woman. So, I mean, I can tell you that's what I'm going to be doing. But we'll be right back. Collections by Michelle Brown airs every Thursday at 7 p.m. You can subscribe now and listen to the podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Be sure to like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and mark your calendar so you never miss an episode. back here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Sissy, how important, you know, sometimes I am just amazed by how our community doesn't know the history of our community. You're, you've been in education. You've been an educator. You're doing it. This is a, I mean, this, I mean, I would think this would be a wonderful book to have in some type of way have people interact with, I could see young girls, you know, doing their book reports on it. But how important, not only as you were writing it, did you have that in mind that we, particularly black women, who they say, oh, black women, like we're supposed to be the saviors of everything now, (laughs) we've been there. How important was it to you not only to write this, but to get this information in the hands of black women? You know what, um, there really is, 
you know, one primary way that, that I want to answer that question, and then, and then I'll uh, go from there. Um, when we were, you know, developing our, our marketing and promotion plan, we um, knew right away that this book, that, that it was imperative that this book was in the hands of young black and brown girls but also young black and brown boys, and also their white contemporaries. Um, so for us, that, that means both at the, I would say, middle, middle school through high school level and also at the collegiate level. Our, our activities right now are focused on, on doing just that. We, are, we have dedicated... Um, this book to the uh, 2045 class of the School District of Philadelphia at our uh, book launch event at the end of February. Um, we had uh, the contemporary women bring um, mementos to contribute to a time capsule Wow. That will be open. Yeah, that will be opened uh, in 2045. The time capsule uh, will be housed at the Charles L. Loxon Collection of Temple University Libraries, and that's one piece. The other piece is that we are working with the social studies um, department at the School District of Philadelphia to and with. Uh, the local Teach for America organization to train their teachers uh, in the use of the book and then also implementing the use of the book as a supplementary, uh, a supplementary curriculum in, in the schools. We will be conducting, and, and this is all happening this month, uh, as a matter of fact, um, we're, we have three or four focus groups that we're going to be conducting with somewhere about close to 35 teachers um, between those two uh, entities and, you know, asking the teachers, you know, what, what kind of support do they need from us? Um, how do they think they might want to use the book? What, what you know, what are some uh, areas that they, you know, really, you know, want suggestion or, and we want feedback from them about how they think that, you know, the students, uh, you know, would be able to embrace the book and use the book and that kind of thing. Uh, that's one part of how I want to answer the question. The other part of how I wanted to answer, the, I want to answer the question is to say that one of the things that was intentionally done in the book, and you'll notice it as you're going through it yourself, is that you'll see a lot of references to street names, to uh -huh. neighborhoods, um, to schools. Uh, we did that deliberately, and in fact, it was at first a tension between um, my editor and Fasaha against me, where I was like, I was like, no, hey, I want, I want young people to see themselves in these places. I want them uh -huh. to be able to say, I know where that's at. Uh -huh. You know, I know where that person lived, <laughs> and we're already getting that from so many people who have the book. Because if you can see yourself in a place and you know that other people came from that place, that gives you a different way to believe in yourself as well. Um, so, and then the last way that I want to answer the, 
the question is that too often we do not know our own history. And so we really, that is, that is hugely, significantly important for us to play a role in making sure that young girls um, and, and young boys and their white contemporaries, really that they come to, to see themselves reflected through this book. We're also working with, are going to be working with an organization that's called Mighty Writers. We've already donated a book to them, and they work with young, young, young people who want to be writers. So we want them to see that this is something that they could do. You could write a book. You know, so there are lots of different ways to answer your question, and I hope that I'm beginning to approach an answer to your question. Um, well, you know, I, I think said, that you know, I, we're I rabble rousers. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, There's ahead, nothing wrong with that. You know, I think that I, I really like that how you said about including the streets and things, because I know, like, I was talking to someone here, and the Detroit area has gone through a number of changes, you know, um, and for particularly for young black youth, like she was this one woman who was talking to, she was saying, like, how she emphasizes over here is at this and this so that they can envision, they can see mm-hmm. that there was a history. It wasn't always like that vacant lot or those abandoned right. homes, that it was a vibrant community. And then you see right. young activists sometimes going into that area, trying to not rebuild what was in the past, but make it their new reality. And so I think that that mm-hmm. part, I mean, that is just like, like you said, you can go like, right, three blocks from me, this happened, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it was the same thing as me realizing that a number of the women who I had worked with professionally, heck, I didn't know they grew up around the corner from where I lived. Uh-huh. <laughs> so there's something, you know, there's something really powerful about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So who was the youngest person that you re interviewed? I think there were three I mean, how three old of were them. They? Um uh-huh. Um the youngest women in the book are let's see, in chapter one, um Aisha Shahida Simmons uh-huh. was one of the younger women and then um the Solomon sisters. Um, uh-huh. um that would be Akiba and Asali Solomon, uh, Akiba is a journalist, and her sister um, Asali is, is now a professor, but is a, a writer, an author, rather, I should say. Um, and, then, and then there's um, Dr. Ayla Stanford, uh, who has done a phenomenal job of, of, of tackling COVID-19 testing in the city of Philadelphia. Um, those women were, I mean, they're younger than me. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, we really did try to make sure that we had younger women reflected in the book, um, that it's not just, you know, the older, more, distance, more distant women. Mm-hmm. Um, does, that, does that answer your question? And there, there yeah, are others. I, I mean, I could, you know, uh-huh. go through the chronology mm-hmm. of it, but, you know, mm-hmm. the, those women in particular stand out. Uh, as being well, I think that that's important too because you know it's a life is a mm-hmm. process, and so to see where you are and where you're going, and you know, and that you can at any age. Do you 
I know you. At one time, you you sort of talked about other volumes. Do you see yourself revisiting some of a more contemporary people later on to see, you know, what they're doing, or maybe not in the same format as they carried us, but in another endeavor? Yeah, let me just add that Mayori Holmes is another one of our younger women in the book as well. Uh, yeah, and to answer the question, yes. I mean, you know, it's funny because, you know, Fasaha and I chuckle when people ask, well, you know, when are you going to do volume one and volume two? And, you know, the truth of the matter is that we are exhausted. That's um, what I'm saying. It took you seven years. <laughs> you oh, my gosh. We need a break. You know, this is a lot of work. And, and you know, never mind that, you know, uh, that my wife and, 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 and her husband, you know, really, really were gracious, <laughs> you know, uh-huh. to allow us uh-huh. this level of time. Um, you know, but to answer your question, yes. We, one of the ways that we think that it's most right now that we see it most easy to do, one of the ways to do that. Uh, is by inviting uh, some of the contemporary women to be a part of some of these um, virtual programs that we're having. We're going to be doing more, more and more of that. Uh-huh. Um, and then, obviously, you know, once once the you know pa- pandemic is uh, abated, then then we'll have you know some of the contemporary women you know come out to different events with us, or maybe do events you know related to they carried us on their own. Um, we are going to be doing, and uh, you know, maybe this will be next year, um, a local street, a local street map. Uh-huh. Um, we have a number of markers in the city of Philadelphia, um, and not enough of them are, you know, markers dedicated to Black women. But there are, but there are some, um, mm-hmm. and you know, we're hoping, we're hoping to be able to continue talks with. The Philadelphia Mural Arts um, a program to um, get a mural of the women, you know, um, what's the right word, uh, commissioned. Uh-huh. Um, and do I see us writing something else? Yes. I just don't know what form that will take. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, I, we also do have plans for uh, an ebook where, you know, obviously someone is some one or two people, you know, are actually reading the entire book. And that's going to be a process in and of itself. Mm. Mm. Okay, I could see that. Be that. Yeah, that could be interesting. So after seven <laughs> years, being connected at the hip, um, did you, do you miss each other? <laughs> do you miss, I know that you're still seeing each other because you're in the, the post-production, but do you miss that closeness that, that collaboration on what are we going to do with this, who's going to do that, do you miss that? Well, we still have it. So the answer is no, I don't <laughs> miss it because, because it's, on, it's ongoing. Um, okay. we, we talk and plan, you know, virtually every day. Um, even if even today, for example, where we didn't have meetings, we had to talk about something impromptu, and all we do is text each other through Messenger and say, "Hey, do you have five or ten minutes to get on Skype?" And we do. So I mean, we are very much in. Yeah, no, we are very much in the, you know, promotional 
you know, phase of this thing. And the promotional means, you know, book sales, you know, kind of thing. We're very mm-hmm. much in the, into the throes of that. We are just getting our footing on, um, you know, virtual events. We've had probably a half a dozen of those. We're, we're, we're booked now through, you know, November. So you just don't, you just don't get on, you know, these events and, 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 you know, and, and just take it all from, you know, whatever comes to the top of your head. There's still planning and, and, and you know, pre-planning and meeting that goes into, that goes into all of that. So um, do I miss her? I'm still talking to her every day. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't had a chance to miss her yet. We're still talking to each other every day. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, that, that's so cool. That's so cool. Well, I know that yeah. you guys have a, a website, which I, I, you know, you talk about, you know, the videos, the book launch, uh, you know, pictures of, of many of these people, which I think is, like, really great. Um, is that the website the best way to contact the two of you? I know you're booked through November, but what are you still available yes. to do? Um, we we still you know we still are available and are taking uh, events obviously yes the website folks um, it, we always refer people to our website which is um, theycarryus.org because as you as you know you were able to get on to our website and I don't think it's a traditional website you really get uh, you know a flavor for what it what it is that we've tried to accomplish with this book and this project uh, we also have a blog on the website that I want to Mm-hmm. point out that we, you know, try to tie into, you know, current events. Um, but certainly people could get in contact with us um, at contact at theycarriedus.org. That's mm-hmm. contact at theycarriedus.org. That's our uh, project uh, email. Uh, we also have a, a Facebook page. Uh, you simply have to search They Carried Us, and you'll find mm-hmm. us on Facebook and the same with uh, Instagram and Twitter, so we're you know we're we're on all of those uh, social media platforms, um, and the book is available through uh, Amazon by simply uh-huh. searching uh, for "They Carried Us." It's available both in paperback and Kindle. Uh-huh. You know, one of the things I'll tell you about that I also like about the website is that you have the photos. You have the photos of some of the contemporary leaders. You have photos of it, which sort of shows, you know, that Mm -hmm. often the media and society tries to say, well, this is what's beautiful. I mean, and this is what what, what every black girl should aspire to be. But here, Mm -hmm. you show the richness, the beauty of Mm -hmm. black women. And I mean, besides these stories that you can look and you can say, that's someone who looks like me. You know, I don't have to thank you for yeah. Thank you for saying that because that Mm -hmm. was that is that is so important to us that Mm -hmm. you know at every step we we want people to be able to to see these as real people as somebody who looks like us. You know, um, mm-hmm. so thank you for thank you for noticing that and, and pointing that out. Even with the forerunners, with that little slide mm-hmm. that we have about the forerunners, you know. Um, so yeah, yeah. Has anyone, um, you know, and I also see this being inspirational. I mean, I talk to a lot of people. Many people are talking about 
archiving or collecting histories. But, you know, I when I was start, just reading the beginning and looking at it, I started to think about the women here in the metro Detroit area on whose shoulders, you know, I stand that they carried us. Have you been contacted by anyone, like people from other states or stuff like that? You know, how did you start this process, or do you see that something that you could eventually be doing, sort of like, you know, this is how we started the process. You have a, a good group of questions, like, you know, so that they don't have to reinvent the wheel, but to help people maybe start to do that deep dive in their own communities. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, we have um, informally, I mean, obviously our editor, you know, when we, uh, you know, first um, – connected with Art Street Press, you know, you know, of course the editor, you know, has always said to us that this is a, obviously this is a project that can, that can be done in so many other cities. Um, and it is, it really is. So, what, however, what you point out is a very good, that's a very good suggestion that, you know, we, I'm going to talk with Fasaha about that, you know, we don't have to be the ones who, who necessarily do this work, but we could certainly provide you with a roadmap of how to get it done. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, most most definitely. I could see us doing something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm in Virginia, and I, I, obviously I told you that. Mm-hmm. I don't have to tell you, though, I don't have to tell you, though, how many um, black women have significantly contributed to uh, to the state of Virginia, um, you know, from you know, from Maggie Walker and uh, T.C. Walker, and I mean, just so many women who have made. And I'm talking about historical figures, uh, you know, right now. But I learned so much about being a black woman by being in Virginia. Uh, I could definitely mm. see something like that being done. Mm-hmm. So we're open to that. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, Cynthia. I hope that one day when you're in Philadelphia, I can meet you in Philadelphia because I would love just to to walk some of the streets and have you show me what you know. Okay. What it was, what, what, you know, because I think that that is just amazing. I love your book. You know, I I love history. Like I said, it, you were right when you said it is that kind of book. Um. I had to travel. I took it with me, and like you said, you can jump around. You can open it to any page just sit and read about this mm-hmm. woman or that woman or what they were doing if they're in sports, if they're in law and government. You know, I mean, all these things like our founders, you can go back and read about them. And, you know, you don't have to try and sit and sit down and read the whole book at one time. But it's something right. that, you that you could go back periodically and pick up and read about mm-hmm. someone else. You know, I thank you and and Fasa for doing this. Fasa. Yeah. Uh-huh. I, I know, cannot I believe to... I can I cannot believe that we've spent this much time together already. You and <laughs> I. Know. I uh, you know, in this I conversation. Know. I'm I'm just like, whoa, you know, I'm 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 so excited over here. Uh, well, yeah, well you know and I want to say means. that to you. <laughs> Yeah. You know what that means? That we have to talk Listen, again. You know? That's that we right. We have to talk again. You know, because we know that pretty soon we'll get we'll determine what the normal is going to be. And you know, yes. I look forward to talking to you again about yes, this, you as well. about so many things that we sort of touched on. That um, yeah. 
I could see us going even deeper into. But I want to thank you, Sissy. I want you to have a great afternoon, a great October afternoon. And <laughs> you as well. Thank you so much for having me on today. I want to thank my guest, Alina Baker Rogers, co-author of the book, They Carried Us, The Social Impact of Philadelphia's Black Women Leaders. Be sure and follow Collections by Michelle Brown Blog Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And let us know if you have a suggestion for a guest or topic for a future show. You can support the podcast by becoming a sponsor of Collections by Michelle Brown on Patreon.com. You can listen to this or past episodes of a show on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Blog Talk Radio. Join us next week when I'll introduce you to another amazing individual living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality, and creating change right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you for listening.